Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. You know I've been talking about earned media value for quite some time on this podcast. My friends at Eisenberg have just raised the bar on earned media benchmarks with their social index. Social Index now gives you globally earned media values across a growing list of six geographies for all your KPIs across the top seven social platforms, Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, Snapchat, TikTok, Twitter, and YouTube. You can now visualize these values for deeper analysis, and they have a look-back window over two years of historical comparisons. Social Index is updated daily. Don't get stuck with old data. Over 1,000 companies have used the social index to understand the ROI of their social campaigns. And if you work with a social agency, you should demand they incorporate earned media values into your reports. Get your earned media value for social content. Visit earnedmediavalues.com slash Allen. Again, that's earnedmediavalues.com slash A-L-A-N. For all of us, it's about predicting where the consumer is going and getting half of it right. One of the things we want to do is create ads that don't suck. Embracing change creates great possibility. I'm Alan Hart, and this is Marketing Today. Today on the show, I've got Tim Grulick, Managing Director at Deloitte and the Operational Customer Experience Practice Leader. On the show today, we talk about a latest report from Deloitte Digital called Creating Human Connection at Enterprise Scale. We talk about why creating human connection is important in today's service economy, if you will, and how companies should be thinking about it and why it's so hard. So I hope you enjoy this conversation with Tim Grulick. Tim, welcome to the show. Thanks, Al. Good to be here. Thank you for having me. Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah. Well, I thought we could start off a little bit of background on yourself and what your path was to coming to Deloitte and ultimately becoming a managing director, or operational customer experience practice lead. Yeah, it's, you know, I think it's kind of an odd path. I don't know what others think, but yeah, I, I started my, my career not even thinking remotely about customer experience or operational customer experience. I actually started my career as a, as a recruiter in the tech space and you know, looking back on it over the years, probably one of the best jobs I've ever had as far as like initial starting point, right? It really focuses you to listen, to listen to people, to relate to people, right? To understand their strengths and weaknesses and how to promote them to prospective clients. And it gave me a wide range of kind of insights and different skill sets and jobs. Like it was one giant job fair. 
for me. And, and, and so I did that for a couple of years, found that I wasn't super passionate about continuing that as a, as a lifelong passion, but, but I was very interested in the, the technical aspects of software and the operational challenges that they were solving. And so used some of my connections to go end up working for one of a startup operational software company at, at the time. And so I did everything from tech support to product development to training, but really teaching organizations how to use the software to solve operational problems around staffing their call centers and managing the, the, the quality within their call centers. And, you know, I was doing that for a while that time, improving customer experience was hot at Deloitte. I had a buddy that worked at Deloitte and ended up moving over into consulting and, and for a long time focused on customer operations and contact center sales operations and just improving operational processes. And then probably 07, 08, 06, somewhere, somewhere in that neighborhood where we were doing a lot of you know, customer experience design work on paper, I got pulled forward into a, a pretty cool project that we were doing, trying to help us move from strategy to execution. And I got the task and said, hey, we've built this great strategy on paper, but we've got to figure out how to operationalize it. And, and my experience, both with understanding how to train people on delivering an experience, but also operationalizing things from an ops background, helped us kind of move into that and say, you know what, these things are kind of pipe dreams. These things we need to do first. These things are, are things we can do first, second, third. And I, I was hooked from there and, and started building my brand around kind of that intersection of strategy and operations and more so taking customer experience and really operationalizing that because it's such a it feels like at times it's such a low-hanging fruit for organizations to just be able to deliver on their brand promises but they make it too complicated at times and and so kind of helping them simplify how you take the feedback that you get from customers turn that perception that you're trying to create into reality and building the systems to do that scale has been kind of my my path forward kind of build a brand and practice around that like yeah i hear you on the simplifying part i think Sometimes we get uh, caught up in the technology and we forget that humans have to have to use it and have to deliver that experience. So it's kind of funny. I was on a call with somebody recently and they said you have to understand the human before you can build digital. And it's it's so it's so true. Well, Deloitte Digital just launched a new report, Creating Human Connection at Enterprise Scale. What was the impetus for that report? And then we'll get into the meat of it, too. Yeah, I mean, this is actually the second in a, in a, a series of reports around kind of human connection, emotional connection at scale. And so we've been interested in this topic for a while as we've been talking to organizations about how to better operationalize their experience at scale. The questions have come up is kind of what is a relationship? What forms that relationship? Also, as CMOs have taken over more of the responsibility of owing the end-to-end relationship, we we knew that people, we we all know that emotions drive acquisition. And so it's a huge part of marketing. Our question in the beginning that started kind of this initial interest was, does that emotional connection carry through post that initial marketing reaction? And how valuable is that to organizations to, to build relationships? And does it actually have a benefit financially at the end of the day for, for your customers? So, so we started down the path of, of investigating this. Our first, our first paper kind of told, described how you, you know, what those relationships are like. And they're really like friendships. When you end, up, end of the day, when you look back at them, they're, if you think about successful business relationships, they're like friendships. And then we took the second step and said, okay, now that we know what they're like, can we get a little bit more about how you build them? And can you build them quicker? What things do you need to do to build those relationships? So that's the genesis of, of where we are. It started a couple of years ago and, and we continue. We, we hope to continue this over time to, to show the evolution. Got it. One of the premises of the research in the paper is that companies need to be more human. Curious how you define that or how, how you think about that. What does that mean? Yeah, you know, it's interesting in, in the first paper, and we talked about relationships 
was while people were, it was almost like a back to the future moment. You saw some of the data came in that people were, while we were moving so far to digital, and this is pre-pandemic, by the way, we were moving so far towards digital interactions and doing things in an online capability. People were longing for relationships and longing for that, that connection. They didn't necessarily need it to be human to human, but they needed the systems and processes and tech that they interact with to mimic. They were longing for that mimicry of, of, of human interaction. So when we started thinking about what does it mean for organizations to be more human, I think it's a recognition that people are complex and organizations are, are complex too. It's a, it's a complex ecosystem, right? Customers, workforce, partners, and we differ tremendously from one person to the next, from one partner to the next. But at the end of the day, we're all human. We all have similar values and traits that we, that we want for ourselves and our and our people we are close to. And so I think to me, it, it means a couple of things. It means we need to understand that people are complex from an organization perspective and, and embrace complexity. We talked a little bit about simplicity and needing to simplify things. And it's kind of a contradiction, but we have to embrace that there is complexity in the world and we have to account and design for it. I think we have to understand that tone and experience matters now and how we engage with people and people are giving us feedback all the time. We have the tools to sense that, to use that scale. We have to embrace using that as much as we use our operational data that's available to us. And ultimately, I think we have to understand, look at ourselves and say, are we structured in a way working, do and work in a way that delivers value to customers and delivers it to, delivers it the human aspect in mind first. Because at the end of the day, Right. The way that businesses are structured is just it's just a way for us as humans to organize ourselves to sustain a, a relationship of value. Right. And that's with whether it's with your coworkers, whether it's with your vendors, whether it's with your partners. And so you know, I think we need to companies need to look at how they're structured and seeing if they're structured so that they can deliver value for the customers, for the humans. Awesome. Well, one of the statements as well in the report was, and I quote this, rational considerations may connect customers with brands, but emotions are what bond them in a sense of relationship. Tell me more about the emotional component to this. Yeah. I mean, and remember, this is this is post-acquisition in the conversation that we're talking about, right? Because emotions are, we don't want to downplay that emotions are extremely important in the acquisition phase. And creating those, talking about the values, creating those emotional responses that get people interested and to the door to purchase your your service or product, right? So, so that's that's important. But once you get somebody in the door and somebody to purchase, right, it's that rational piece that elicits them to want to form a connection, and it's it's the beginning of building trust. And if we go back to the first paper, we talked about these successful relationships most reflecting friendships and friendships have stages, right? You're not, you don't just all, all of a sudden become a lifelong friend after meeting somebody for, for one second, right? You're an acquaintance first, and then you have a set of expectations that are delivered on. You want to spend more time with that person. You want to get to know that person better. You become a, you know, maybe a better friend than a, than a good friend. And so in this sense, the rational ends up giving you that opportunity, that brand permission to have more targeted interactions with people to be more, have more personalized content, to send offers that actually make sense to them, to have an experience where something actually goes wrong and to fix it in a very rational way. So that perpetuates this trust, ends up creating this emotional connection. And then once you have that, you bought yourself a customer who's who's more forgiving. You've bought a customer who doesn't become as price sensitive over time who doesn't look to other places to purchase because the emotional aspect of the loyalty you've created forms a bond that offers you now greater access to 
to benefits. And something that was interesting in, in, in the report is when people talk about their favorite, their favorite brands, especially like 90% of the people that were loyal to brands, they said for multiple years, two thirds of them used words like love and adore when they were talking about their brand. So very emotional words were used by those people that felt that they had really, really strong relationships. And so once you get to that, you get the benefits of, of the emotional relationship. Interesting. The notion too of like, it's, it's intuitive, but using a, an issue, right, to then, to your point, like quickly fix the issue or problem is an opportunity. I think it's a, a lot of times as marketers, you know, or people responsible for customer experience, you, you always dread the problems. But uh, I guess within the problem is an opportunity. Absolutely. I mean, I think you're going to have problems. Once again, if we go back to being human, it's embracing the fact that we're complex. It's embracing the fact that things are going to go wrong eventually. And it's, it's the way that we react to them to fix them. And then it's the way that we listen to the feedback about what went wrong to try to fix it in the future, because you're showing that you're wanting to move forward in a relationship. You're recognizing the wrong that creates uh, another opportunity for, for trust. It's kind of counterintuitive, right? But And it's not what we want to do. It's business. I think we penalize ourselves too much for the problems instead of looking about how to fix them and be human about them. Yeah. I know you probably would not want to do this, but it, it does beg the question, like, should we design some flaws such that we can create <laughs> a wow moment. Well, I was going to say there, there is, I can't remember his name, but there is a, a person out there who advocates not necessarily for like specifically designing flaws, but for, for embracing, embracing them and, and knowing that if you can't design around them, be upfront about them, embrace them and fix them the right way. How do you think of companies need to be relating to customer? Meaning is not just designing a great product or service enough. I don't think it is anymore, and, and I mean it's it's enough to have an, it's it's enough to to have a company. It's probably enough to it's probably enough to have organization that's that's profitable. But if you're looking to, you're always going to teeter on the edge of profitability and and you know, retaining kind of your customer. You don't want to be on that edge, right? It's we're in such a complex world. Things move so fast right now. Products and services are copied, are mimicked, or come out so fast right now that. You've got to be aware of the competition. There's too much competition to to not relate. And what we're saying by by relate is you've got to have a strong product and service as the base. Like that is your entry point to creating the trust. But then if you relate, we believe it actually has two things from a, from a competitive positioning perspective that allows you to to thrive. One being right. We all know that at least the report says. I think intuitively we feel this way that people that have these relationships stay longer and they forgive you more. But what that does is create a competitive moat around your customers. And, and you know, in the research, we've, we've found that you know, the people that have these relationships are not as price sensitive or less to leave. And, and so you want to have that moat that in good times and bad, your customers want to stay with you. They think of you as a necessity. They think about you as the splurge item that they don't want to get rid of. Right? Think about even the times we are right now. You don't want to fall in that middle category where somebody's like, eh, do I need them? Do I not need them? I want to be passionately about them because I love who they are and I've got a relationship with them, or I, I know they're a service that I can't get rid of, right? Because you need those customers during during these times when dollars become scarce. And then second, it forms this, this competitive informational advantage. What we found out in the report is that people that have these relationships share much more data with you and, are, and want to share much more data with you. And if you can create that two-way feedback, I mean, that almost becomes this proprietary source of information that you can innovate off of, that you can test off of. And it's nothing that your competitors can can replicate. It's primary, it's real time. And those are kind of the two things you need to really drive differentiated transformation. So if used the right way, relating opens up 
a whole new set of information for your company to thrive off of. Got it. Does this this move to relating to your customers be more human, build stronger emotional connections? Does it actually pay out in the business results? Yeah, I mean, I mean, we've we've seen in in not only this study but in, in some other studies that we've done around the emotional space and creating emotional connections that you know on average customers that say that they've got these creation these emotional bonds and they're talking about them from love and adore have relationships of four or five plus years with those organizations they're they're opt to buy with them at two to three times in a six month period more than competitors and I even look at competitors companies that take this more human centric approach of working off you know grow at almost 17 times faster than than other companies that don't and from an operations perspective, if you treat your company or you start your customers in this way that you're you're relating to them more, those customers, once again, that feel that they've got this bond are often a third less expensive to service. So, so you've got to benefit both in how much they consume from you, but how much it actually takes to, to service them as, as customers as well. When you think about causes of like why companies aren't trying to do this now, is it that it's really hard and it's you know almost like rocket science to achieve or we've had kind of a theme on the show that as companies become larger they become less connected to their customer and so we're essentially needing to correct for that i'm curious just to get your comments on that yeah i mean i think you and i talking and, and you probably when you read the paper you, you read through the paper and go probably said this isn't rocket science like this this intuitively makes a lot of sense ryan reynolds here from Mint mobile with the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. But the question becomes, if, if it intuitively makes a lot of sense to, to you and I, why, why, are nobody, why is nobody doing it? And I think it's to your point is, is that and the first point I went back on being human is, is embracing the complexity. I think we're always trying to maybe simplify things in organizations and simplify things around what is in our direct view. And our direct view is usually the business unit that we work within. And I don't think sometimes we think, you know, the customers and think of interaction with us as an interaction by the business unit. They don't think, oh, I'm talking to the care representative right now. They shouldn't know about my purchase that I made 20 minutes ago. They shouldn't know about the offer on the website because they don't necessarily talk to each other. They don't look at customers don't look at it in that way, but I think we still look at it that way in organizations. I think we still keep our data siloed. I also think we don't have a common language. Uh, most organizations don't have a common customer experience language across organizations. They think of things, even the definition of customer can be different from a sales organization to a service organization, to a marketing organization. So we don't have the same nomenclature. And I think not being able to talk about it cross-functionally makes it difficult. I also think we still operate businesses in those silos and our metrics. We're incented to work in metrics in our silos. 
And those metrics don't often align with what our customer wants. More importantly, as feedback comes in and you start looking at feedback and you expose customer feedback across organizations, I think without that common nomenclature, it can be threatening, right? Because people are not used to seeing this information in raw format as it should be. They're, they're used to seeing it in curated format and curated for their specific use. They're not used to seeing information about how customers feel about their service, their company. And I think it turns into more of a pointing exercise sometimes as who's wrong versus embracing, once again, like we talked about, embracing the challenge and figuring out how to, to fix it. So it's like, I think that it's the way we've structured ourselves as organizations and the way that we work and what makes it challenge. And it's going to be very difficult to break those, to break those out. So that, that's ingrained in us for years. Right, right. Yeah. No, it makes perfect sense. Business is complex. It's made more complex by the structures we choose to operate our business. And, and then you put people at the center of that and it gets really weird and squirrely sometimes. <laughs> so I want to turn to data because, I mean, we've been talking about the human side of the equation, but data has to be a big part of what you're doing, what you're working on with clients at Deloitte. How do you turn these numbers and digital breadcrumb trails, if you will, into something that comes off as more human and can actually help your employees build those connections? Yeah. I mean, there's a bunch of different ways to, to use data and you're right. It's, it's increasingly important. I mean, it's, it's the lifeblood, right, of, of any company now and, and especially around experience. And as we talked about a little bit earlier, if you're embracing tone and sensing in this different set, set of experience data. And the first thing is you need to figure out how to use it and what it is and communicate across the organization how it relates to, to the operational data it is. So we spend a fair amount of time at, at Deloitte not only building systems to aggregate the data, to take different sources of data and put them together and then push them out to individuals so that they can use them and view them in ways that they can consume and act on them, but also make that available for applications, machine learning, AI to do things in a more automated fashion. We spend a lot of time, a lot of time there, obviously helping structure that. We also spend a lot of time helping organizations just manage through the change of using data, right? And at the end of the day, anything data related is about three things in my mind. One, it's about understanding the data. And we have so much data out there, but you have to, you know, understanding what source it comes from, understanding how it was derived, understanding why it's used. Like you need to have we help organizations understand all of that and maybe that they have four or five different sources across the organization. What do they mean? How are they rationalized? How do they come together? Second one is trusting the data. Once you understand what it is, you have to create a opportunity for the organization to trust that data. A lot of that's education around what it is, nomenclature about how you use it, building systems and visualizations so that people can use it for their own individual individual roles. But once you can get people to trust the data, you kind of move to a next set. Okay, you know, we know that data is there. We're not questioning where it came from. We trust that where it's telling us is places that we need to fix it. And then if we can get your boss to make a decision off the data and you see that happen, then you embrace it. And so we spend a lot of time also helping companies work through that and then saying, now that we've embraced that, which part of these that we now trust the data can we automate? Because now we trust it. We know it's right. We've seen decisions work off of it. How do we move this into an automated fashion that can be done in real time at scale because we can't follow that same process for every single customer. We have too many of them. So how do we work through that process, get comfortable with it, and then automate it and scale it and do it all under the guise of does it relate back to humans? Like that's that's the broader set of work that we do all the way from kind of strategy to 
systems development to, to change management and teaching. That's awesome. I appreciate the breakdown. It's, it makes it much more digestible because it can at times seem all, I guess I'm searching for the right word, but just all consuming, I guess, in, in many ways. I think that's, I think it is the right word. It's, it, it's, there's, there's so much of it. <laughs> it's, it's like you've got a bunch of marbles and they all fell on the floor and they're all over, they're all over the, the floor and you know, you need to clean them up. But then you start looking at them and you're like, where do I start? How do I? It's all over the place. And, and you've got to put some kind of structure around and you've got to start somewhere. And I'm now making it more complex by saying, hey, you got good at all this operational stuff over here. This experiential stuff is really important because it gives you the why behind the what. And oh, by the way, it doesn't always come in a number format. <laughs> it may be somebody writing, I don't like this because of this, or I don't want to see this because of this. Or, like, and you have to figure out how do you take people say, right, the signal out of the noise? What do you take from each one of those interactions? How do you put it in a way that you can use it one? And how do you put it in a way that you can automate and use it? So I'm making it even more complicated. I'm asking it to be more complicated. But once again, embrace the complexity. This is humanity, right? And and I think it creates better experiences and better outcomes. Awesome. Well, I want to switch gears. Um, one of the things we always do on the show is to get to know the person behind the microphone. And um, my favorite question, frankly, to ask is, has there been an experience of your past that defines or makes up who you are today? Oh, gosh. So I think from my past, I played sports a lot growing up, played them in college for a bit. And I wouldn't say that there's one experience per se that makes up who I am, but I would say the experience of being on a team and being very committed to the outcome or a goal is kind of something that that defines me. It's kind of built up how I how I operate with my teams, how I operate with my clients, how I even operate kind of with my family. There's there's a there's a greater purpose out there that we're all sort of working towards, and we can't necessarily ever do it by ourselves. And once again, how you embrace and work with others. There are there's a meritocracy to sports. There's a set of effort that if you put in and follow the process, you'll get the results. And so that organization in the team organization, once again, I talk about structuring things, that structure of, of the team to me is, is I always frame things kind of back in that, in that realm and, and look at things in that way. How are we going to get, how are we going to get somewhere together? And what, is it, what, are, what are all piece parts work together? What advice would you give to your younger self if you're starting all over? <laughs> I would give myself the advice to honestly write more. And it's something I didn't love. I did not like writing growing up at all. I, I was okay with reading during my younger days. I, I love to read now, but as I've grown as a consultant, as I've grown as a leader, right, my, my job is to take complex ideas and help people understand them and train them how to use it. And as I've grown, I've needed to articulate more complex ideas in a, in a more concise way. And I think the practice of writing, the practice of taking those complex ideas out of your head, putting them on paper so that they can be used without you directly in front of them is is really important. And once again, especially as things become more complex, we've got to simplify the conversation around them. So that, that would be my advice to my younger self because I hated to write papers. I hated to, you know, I, I hated to show my work. I was like, I know how to do it. Here we go. No, I, I love it. I, I don't think we've had that piece of advice before on the show, but it's it's hugely valuable. And I it's something that I've come to do myself too. And uh, I like to say that if you can write it, you can teach it. So yeah, it's it's pretty good. Well, what's been the most, it's kind of a silly question, but I kind of like where it goes sometimes. What's been the most impactful purchase of $100 or less in say the last six to 12 months? Oh gosh. I feel like I haven't purchased much in the last six to 12 months. I'm the guy that's been sitting in my house during the pandemic, kind of just 
doing with what I've got now. My wife, on the other hand, we get Amazon packages to the door all the time. Don't think I'm the one purchasing them. You know what? Right before, right before we the pandemic kind of hit and went into lockdown, we were one of the lucky ones that got a, a spring break out of it because it was early. It was early in the year before we had every everything had known about it, and so we were out in Arizona. And we made a, a decision at that point to, to go to the Grand Canyon. I think it was 35 bucks to take to take the family to the to the Grand Canyon. And in retrospect, looking back on this now, nah, it was it was great. It was awesome to see. I'd never been there before. So beautiful. Kids were, as you can imagine, they're seven and five in the whole the car ride the whole way. I don't want to go. I don't want to go. And then we we got there, and it was you know it was kind of awe inspiring. And I think if you look back on kind of where we were then and where we were now. I think a being able to get out and see that was not knowing what was going to happen was a pretty impactful. Knowing that, not knowing that we were going to be stuck in our house for the next four months after that. B just if you look back at the beauty of that thing and realizing that that took time, it's kind of grounding in notion, right? That we'll, we'll get through whatever's going on <laughs> right now, and and at the end of the day, things will be probably better. No, that's a great example. That's a great example. Well, last two questions for you. A little bit more on the marketing or uh, you know business front. Stepping back, you know, are there any brands or or companies or causes that you follow or you you think other people should be taking notice of? I'm going to give you a, a weird one here because it kind of ties in with that first one about it's what you said about experiences. There's and it's it's been interesting in in the evolution, but it's a it's a college sports brand. It's it's I went I went to school at Vanderbilt, so naturally I was a little bit biased. But if you go look at the hashtag hashtag Vandy Boys, it is Vanderbilt baseball team hashtag, and and they've grown to kind of national prevalence over the last twelve years. They've got a varied amount of, of first round draft picks in in baseball. But what's been interesting is the way their brand has has grown they probably have i think they have the largest following on twitter and instagram of any collegiate brand um and right this little southeastern conference private school has created this this massive brand and they've created this they've created this brand on the basis of hard work giving back to the community kids that are really really good at what they do that become really successful still going back to school and getting their their degrees and and their coaches this guy who's by the name of Tim Corp, he's just he's super down to earth. And he has this quote that he, he says that I've got kind of on my wall in my office. And it says, you know, rules are for people who can't follow directions. Standards are for people that aspire to be to be great. And I think for me, it's about all of us, brands, organizations, ourselves, setting standards out there that we wanna that we wanna follow, not that we're made to to follow. So for me, that it, it just if you look at that evolution from a brand perspective, how they went from nothing to to something and, and they have merchandise and they have they have people following them that have nothing to do with baseball. It's because of the brand that they've they've established. And and for me, once again, I go back to causes. This this is people who I want my kids to emulate. And it's once again teaching to me the values of, of sports and teamship and that type of stuff. So just a probably an odd one you've never heard of either. But it's if somebody looks everybody looks back at the evolution, like it's very interesting from the one from nothing. Yeah. No, I, I love the example. I love the example. I'm gonna have to check that out and do a little do a little digging. It sounds it sounds pretty cool. The last question for you. What do you feel like is either the largest opportunity or threat to marketers today? I think it's both. Here when I say this, it's the access, availability, and ownership of, of their data. And I think it's an opportunity in the fact that you know there's a lot more of marketing data that they people can bring in a house. There's a lot more marketing data that they already own that they can take advantage of. Remember, we talked about this experience set of signals. I think that has to be brought into the marketing context and and delivered. And so the opportunity there is the tools are out there. You most likely probably own 
90% of that data that you need or 75% of it's yours, you bring your 25% in-house, but it's do you want to invest the resources to, to organize it in the structure that needs to be organized to do something off of it, not just also from a human aspect, but also you know automate it from a machine learning AI perspective. That's going to be super important. And then are you going to look at how your organization structured and make sure that you're looking at it at end to end? Like that to me is your biggest opportunity. If you can get that right, if you can create these relationships that we talked about, you're setting yourself up for, for a lot of opportunities with those, not only with those customers, but to experiment with other services past that. I think it's a big threat too, because I think if you don't, if you ignore it, you're going to get left left behind. People are becoming ultra conservative about their access to their information. We have data privacy laws that are making it more difficult to get a hold of people's information if you don't want to do it. And, you know, I think that's that's important. Like we need to be respectful of people's personal information. But as we see in the report, if you create relationships and you create them well and you deliver value to organizations, people are tremendously inclined to give you more information. And so the opportunity is there is to really differentiate, to have that proprietary information, to continue to deliver, to deliver value. The threat is either somebody's going to pass you or you do that wrong. People are going to, they're not going to give you information. And then you're, you're left in this data void, which is difficult to, to work with in today's age. Awesome. Well, Tim, it's been fascinating conversation. I really enjoyed it. Thank you for coming on the show. Yeah, Alan, I appreciate it. Thank you very much. Hi, it's Alan again. Marketing Today was created and produced by me. If you're new to Marketing Today, please feel free to write us a review on iTunes or your favorite listening platform. Don't forget to subscribe and tell your friends and colleagues about the show. I love to hear from listeners, and you can contact me at marketingtodaypodcast.com. There you'll also find complete show notes with links to anything we talk about on any episode. You can also search our archives. I'm Alan Hart, and this is Marketing Today. How does appreciation feel to you? A rising rush of warmth? A building wave of confidence? At Reward Gateway Eden Red, we know appreciation appreciates in value. Starting with people, radiating through companies to transform their performance and productivity. Capture the power of appreciation with our total employee experience platform. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade.